following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. We're in James chapter 2. And while we have much to rejoice over, we also know that there is obviously no shortage of serious issues plaguing our nation and our world. True? Yeah. But there's one area where we, as the body of Christ, have truly dropped the ball and squandered our opportunity to reach the lost. This is an area that most people would consider probably small, insignificant, of no major consequence, yet it is an area that Jesus directly addressed, that Paul directly addressed, and that James directly addresses here in chapter 2. What is it? Well, if you look down at your Bible and looked at that subheading, you know what it is. Favoritism and its ugly twin, prejudice. Our English word for prejudice stems from a Latin word that emphasizes a prejudgment of someone, causing us to form an opinion before knowing all of the facts. I know none of you have ever, ever done that. <laughs> but once, and once, you know, we've hastily come to our conclusions, facts or no facts, typically without the facts, once we have hastily come to our conclusions, ignoring those essential facts, we're well on our way to establishing an irrational, sinful attitude. The whole point of James chapter 2 verses 1 through 13 is to defuse that kind of faulty thinking and living. James gives us some very practical principles for a faith that works, especially in this area. And so then a faith that works will always, folks, want you to hear this, our faith, in terms of not saving faith, but our belief system kind of faith, will always show up in how we treat people. Did you hear that? Always, it will show up in how we treat people. Surveys have shown that the number one reason visitors return to a church is because they have felt welcomed. You know what else surveys reveal? That most churches think that they are a friendly church. You know why? This is what the survey reveals, because they just keep saying hi to their friends. <laughs> week after week after week. And so they think, we're friendly. I'm always saying hi and hugging my best buddy or whatever the case might be. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But what that does reveal is not so much that it is, might not be a friendly church, just because friendly to our friends, but... More than anything, it would reveal that cliques exist, right? Yeah. So James began by saying, in essence, faith in Christ and favoritism are incompatible. Did you hear that? I mean, you didn't want to hear that. <laughs> faith in Christ and favoritism are incompatible, like oil and water. 
Look at verse 1 with me. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. James takes a no-nonsense approach to the gospel. There's nothing elitist whatsoever about the book of James. In fact, the section here that we're looking at this evening discusses and shows how elitism is the exact opposite of the true gospel message that would be presenting what? The opposite of elitism, humility. So there are a lot of people out there who do not believe us when we tell them God loves you just the way you are. And so do we. <laughs> you know why they don't? Because what they hear isn't always consistent with what they see. Many people see the church as some kind of private club. I'm not just talking about, um, you know, economics or ethnicity or race. I'm talking about social acceptability. Folks, you know this, but may we be reminded tonight, we are not a social club that exists for the comfort and happiness of our members. And as important as being politically involved is, we do not exist as a, to be a political action committee that exists to rally voters and organize boycotts. Is, that is okay, but that is not our primary reason for existing. Amen? Amen. We're not here to declare war on the non-believers in all of the various categories that we have labeled them with. We're here to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? And to show his love to a lost and dying world. If we're not living the Jesus life, doing his work, treating others like he treats them, like he treats us, then we're not doing our job. The command in this verse is pretty straightforward, really. It says, must not show. The term in the original language literally means do not have. In other words, do not have in your heart an attitude of favoritism or prejudice. Notice that the issue here with those whom James addresses is not what they believe or whom they trust. We know by the language here that's a given. Okay, It's not about that. In fact, James uses some of the most exalted language that could be used in describing Jesus in this brief statement that he makes, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, as far as James is concerned, they are a part of the forever family of God. So that's not at at question here. But something was wrong. The attitude that accompanied their faith didn't fit. There is some interesting irony here that I want, in other words, the way that they considered and prejudged some people as not fitting in with their group was actually, from heaven's perspective, causing them to not fit in, to be out of sync with the church, with the body of Christ that Jesus was building. Think about that. (laughs) That's kind of interesting. Something was wrong. 
They're out of sync. Faith and favoritism, folks, do not mix. The Greek word translated favoritism here is a compound word that communicates the idea of receiving the face. Okay? That's what it literally means. Jane's point is this. You see a person's face. In other words, the outward appearance is what that is referring to. And you receive that image as if it is all that you need to know about that person, the outward appearance, the outward image. And at that point, a judgment is made. Are you with me? Interestingly, the word is also used in the New Testament in reference to God, <laughs> describing God. For example, in Acts chapter 10, some of you familiar with that chapter, it is in that chapter where Peter has been given a vision, right? That God is okay with Gentiles, <laughs> kind of clearing his, his belief system that he grew up with, looking down on them. And Peter says in chapter 10, verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. God judges the truth of a matter by the heart, not the face, not by outward appearance. And church, we are called to do the very same thing. In the next few verses, James illustrates how this works, showing how it works kind of in a couple of different ways, picking it up at verse 2. It says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man is, is in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Favoritism and prejudice can go in one of two directions. You can think of it as positive and negative, and it's inter interesting how they intertwine sometimes without even our realizing. By merely looking at the outward appearance, we can miss harmful character flaws in a person simply because it's being maxed by attractive clothing, smooth talk, winsome personality, on the other hand, we can too quickly condemn a person based on the outward appearance as well, failing to see, in this case, Christ-like characteristics. We are to treat everyone the same. We know this. What I just said wasn't like news to you, was it? We know this. But we often fail to do it, correct? Especially in the church. Why? There could be several reasons cited. Here's one that I will share. Because of the tendency to show favoritism to those who can do something for us. 
we tend to show favoritism to those we want to use for our own benefit. In James's illustration, two men stand out as the church is gathering for worship. One is dressed to the max, from fancy jewelry to expensive, elegant apparel. And in ancient times, by the way, it was customary for people of great wealth or nobility to wear jewel-studded garments of fine fabric such as silk. Their garments announced that they were influential, that they were powerful, that they could change your life <laughs> with just the nod of their head. But James's illustration, I don't want you to miss this, would have come across as odd to his first century readers. You see, because at the time James wrote this letter, the story was usually reversed. Christians were often brought into the assemblies of the rich and the powerful for interrogation and judgment. It wasn't, it wasn't common for the wealthy to even show up at a church. They were too good for that. So having caught his reader's attention with this illustration that would have been different and odd and kind of out of sync with their times, he presents his second person in the illustration, a poor man in grubby, dirty clothes, wanders in to the church. No jewels, no silk, no entourage to protect him from thieves or assassins. He has no influence over anything or anybody. <laughs> Please note, this person stands out as exceptionally poor, just as the wealthy man stood out as enviably rich. It's intentional by James. We notice the one doing the seating, we'll refer to him as the usher, is blinded by the bling. I didn't know how else to put that. thought that was kind of like would work for how we might understand it, right? We know about bling in our day, don't we? This guy is blinded by the bling. The rich man gets VIP treatment. You sit here in this really good seat. While the rich man is shown to a seat of honor, we notice that the poor man, he doesn't even get a seat. He's told, you go stand over there, or maybe if you want, you can sit on the floor here by my feet. In other words, you don't matter. Stay out of the way is what that is saying. Discrimination and evil judgment has indeed occurred. The favoritism being shown toward the rich person was inconsistent, church, with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Inconsistent. It's incompatible. Why? Because Jesus died 
for all. Amen? Died for all of them. That's not the model for the church that belongs to Jesus to follow. May God help us to not be that kind of church, no matter how someone looks, no matter their social or financial status, they are not to be considered, may they never be considered here as a means to an end. That we won't show favoritism toward them because we don't plan to use them for our own selfish purposes. Folks, everyone here, all of us, are all the same. Meaning sinners. <laughs> saved by grace. Verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored you. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him who, to whom you belong? This doesn't mean that God is partial toward the poor and disdains the rich. That's not what this verse is saying. It's not what James is saying. How do we know? Well, for a lot of places, here's one, Romans chapter 2, verse 11 simply says, for God does not show favoritism. He just doesn't. And we saw it already in Acts chapter 10. However, the poor are generally, have you noticed, generally are more open to Jesus and the gospel message. It's true, isn't it? But we've also noticed from our own experience and in this life, on the flip side of that, usually the more a person has, whether it is money, education, or status, the more self-sufficient that person feels and the more difficult it is to see his or her need for Jesus Christ. To further show how irrational favoritism is, James asks three piercing questions. Question number one, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? In James's day, many of the rich and powerful were Sadducees who were persecuting the church. And unless believers were careful, they could be giving special attention to someone who would the very next day be their persecutor. James is saying that's crazy. Question number two, are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? In New Testament times, it was common for a poor person needing money to get a loan, borrow from a rich person. But here's the problem, at excessively high interest rates. The lender would then show no mercy if the loan wasn't paid on time. Seems like I remember Jesus telling parables about this. Don't you remember that? The lender would then show no mercy if the, when the loan was was paid, if it wasn't paid on time, and they, at that point they could legally take the man, his wife, his children, and sell them into slavery, which could mean that that family would be separated and in some cases never see each other again. 
Question number three, are they not the ones who are blaspheming the name of him to whom you belong? These rich people were abusing the name of Christ either by speaking evil of him or by insulting Christians. Most of you are familiar with this. Initially, to be called a Christian in the first century was not meant to be something said in honor. <laughs> it was actually the opposite. It was intended to be a disgraceful remark. I want you to consider with me this little analogy. What would your attitude be like if you knew that here in a few, in within a half hour or so, you, you were going to be meeting a famous, wealthy celebrity or athlete versus in that same amount of time you knew you were going to be meeting a homeless person. What would your attitude be like in both situations? Can we be honest? We, we know what they would be like, right? I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't care about celebrities and I don't even like athletes anymore. <laughs> you might say that, but I'm not buying it. Because you know how we are. Amen? You think of that celebrity you really like, that actor or actress or athlete. And then think about the possibility of encountering a homeless person. Here's the question. Would you even bother meeting that homeless person? Well, you might get excited about the other. You see, and this is exactly what James is getting at here. We're all vulnerable. Amen? We're all guilty of treating people differently depending on how we view them outwardly. But almost without exception, the irony is that the people we try to impress the most are the ones who care about us the least. While the people who really would be open to receiving what we have to give in terms of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the ones who truly need us, and as it turns out, the ones we truly need in terms of being shaped into the image of Jesus Christ, we don't have time for. But imagine with me this thought, folks. What if... What if we had a zero-tolerance policy in this area? Because hmm. I think this is what James is getting at. He may not have used those terms, but this is exactly what he is getting at with what he has to say here. What if? We had a zero-tolerance policy in this area of favoritism and prejudice. What if we weren't so easy on ourselves in this area? We have a lofty attitude for the rich 
and ignore the poor and the needy. And we let ourselves off scot-free. James basically says, don't kid yourself. You're not getting off that easy. Listen to his words, verses 8 through 11, from the New Living Translation, okay? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, that's the favoritism part, right? You are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the law except one is guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. In other words, all of them. <laughs> this passage is most often used to defend the idea that one sin is just as bad as another. You know, if you exceed the speed limit, it's as bad as robbing the bank. <laughs> and vice versa. Well... You know, I suppose so. But here's the deal. You try telling that to a judge. <laughs> Probably not going to fly very well. I want you to realize the context in which James is saying this. It's not about speeding or bank robbery or telling white lies or cheating on your income tax. I'm sure you notice that James compares favoritism with two of the worst sins on the books. Adultery and murder. I think it's safe to say, <laughs> I know some of you, I think it's safe to say that these are two sins where we pretty much have a zero tolerance policy in effect. Am I wrong? One single bit. There's not a church in the country who would say, if someone makes you mad, go ahead, take them out. <laughs> there isn't a church in the country that would say, go ahead and cheat on your spouse every now and then. What they don't know won't hurt them. No legitimate church would dare say something so outrageous. Why? Because we got zero tolerance policy in that area. Hmm. But there are many churches who say shamelessly, with judgmental prejudice, that type of person just doesn't belong here. James is obviously saying that this type of attitude is just as evil, just as sinful as committing adultery 
or committing murder. Church, we have to demand more from ourselves as a church and as individuals. We are not to play games with nor take lightly the commandments of God. We need to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Zero tolerance. Verse 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James is saying to us as he wraps up his instruction with regards to favoritism and prejudice and it is an appeal. He's making an appeal for us to apply his teaching which is what? Let scripture be your standard. Amen. Let love be your law. Let mercy be your message. Don't speak or live from a superficial cultural conditioning which once again we are all so vulnerable to to speak and act that way makes believers lawbreakers James says subjecting them to God's discipline James says now James is not saying that believers will at this point be condemned by God for we know therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Romans chapter 8 verse 1. But they will be judged and rewarded on how they conducted themselves in this life. No one escapes that, by the way, in case you forgot. James reveals the standard by which all believers will be judged, and he uses the term by the law of freedom, obviously referring to the gospel message. Showing favoritism is not only unlawful, folks, it is also unmerciful. Those who judge others often forget that they themselves must face God's judgment. Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him or her for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The reality of God's coming judgment I really think, and I'm hoping you're hearing and being challenged in this way, ought to be an incentive for us to speak and act obediently <laughs> to the commands of God. Amen? Why has it been so difficult for Christians to take James's words about favoritism and prejudice seriously? Why? 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 We're okay with loving our neighbors as long as we get to pick the neighborhood. 
But James's words should challenge our attitudes, convict our hearts, and change our actions. Amen? We have to call it what the Bible calls it, folks. Sin. Sin. Prejudice and faith in Christ, as I've said, do not mix. Completely incompatible. So decide right now to agree with Scripture. Decide right now to be a doer and not just a hearer of the Word. Decide right now to follow the Word that has been implanted within you as one who is in Christ. Amen. Father in heaven, we come before you now. And this is um, <laughs> typical of the James letter, cuts to the heart. <laughs> because every single one of us in this room know that we, we struggle in this area. We truly do make judgment calls and consider people make those judgments on nothing else but outward appearance. I am so thankful, as I'm sure everyone in this room is thankful, that you did not treat us like that. Who of us would even be here tonight if you went on outward appearance? We'd be lost for sure. But God, I'm asking that you move in our hearts. That you do a miracle in us all to take seriously the words that James has given us. The seriousness is, it is sin. Just like some of the others, some of the worst on the books are sin. No question about that. And may we not question that favoritism and prejudice just as bad from heaven's perspective, which is the perspective we need to have. Move in our hearts. Move us closer to you. And may we be individuals that comprise this church and be amongst those who are loving you and loving others no matter what, showing your love to whomever you bring to cross our paths. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up my heart.